that sounds really good. How many of you have been invited to something and you didn't want to go? Anybody ever get one of those invitations and then you try to dodge people and ignore them and, you know, you put it off because you don't want to say no because it sounds rude. How many of you have not been invited to something you wanted to go to? Anybody that one? That's worse, right? Because you want the privilege of saying, no, I don't want to go, right? It makes you feel better. Well, you know, sometimes people get invited to something and they don't want to be there. So one of the funny stories about early days of this church, as many of you know, if you're visiting, we're about four years old, and, and uh, we've been in this building a little over two years. Well, when we opened up, we had a reception desk that was all staffed by volunteer. And by and large, they did a great job when they showed up, right? Well, I walk in one day, and I see this lady that I do not recognize at all, and she's an older lady, and I walk up, and I go, well, hey, how are you doing? Not very good. Oh, this is not gonna. This is not gonna be good. Oh, really? Well, um, you know, thank you for serving here. Yeah, okay. That's what I'm getting, right? And in the middle of that, the phone rings. She picks it up and goes, "I don't know. I don't go to church here." And hangs up on the. And I'm going, "Who is this woman? It's like an alien woman at our desk. She didn't even go to church here." And I said, then she looks at me. She goes, "Who are you?" I think we got to get the gong. This girl is out of here, right? And I'm, but I'm trying to be pastoral and kind and nice, you know, and kind of figure out how to shuffle her out the back door in a good way. So I said to her, I said, now, how did you get to this position as volunteer receptionist? Well, my daughter watches me. And she didn't know what to do with me, so she dropped me off here and said I had to work all day. <laughs> so if you have any leftover moms that you want to drop off, please screen them first, all right? We want to make sure they at least know who we are around here. But um, I want to talk about invitations. You know, uh, I've had a lot of weddings in the recent days. In fact, I think I've had like five weddings in six weeks, and I've got two next week, and then I've got one following, and then I think I'm off. I get a break for a while, right? And one of the things about weddings that uh, is really, really fun is the food. I mean, we all go for the food, amen? Let's just be honest, right? We go for the food. And we're on fast, so I'm fasting. I ate one meal a day, so I get there, and it's like the wedding starts at 4, 4.30, and, you know, it's 5.30, and they're taking pictures. I'm thinking, enough pictures. You're only going to look at that album one week anyway. Uh, hurry up, you know, get the food going. And then, you know, somebody, they got little appetizers. They want to kind of mess up my whole meal with an appetizer. No, I want the meal, Right. I want to get to the chicken, the beef, whatever we got going on here. Hey, I just want to do a shout-out. Tom, I see you there, brother. You were out last week. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Stand up, brother. So let me tell you why. Tom was the guy I told you a story about was cured of, uh, of cancer. The doctor came back with a great report. I gave his report last week. God bless you, Tom. So what I want to do, what I want to do here is I, I want to talk about uh, invitations, you know, and we're going to talk about Jesus as the bridegroom and the church is the bride. There's going to be a marriage one day in eternity and all of our weddings basically are modeled after the divine encounter, the divine marriage that is coming between Christ and the church, his bride. Invitations go out. So let me just walk you through as we kind of lead into this message. You have an invitation that you have not yet attended. There's a wedding coming in eternity. You've been given the invite, and one day you will attend. 
When we go through life as a Christian and we start living in this kingdom lifestyle, we know that there's something there's something more. There's a desire within us for something more, but sometimes what we do is we look at it and we go, but I haven't experienced it. How do I know I'll like it? When we talk about how the Holy Spirit works and how, how God does certain things and you say, you know, I really want that, but I have not yet experienced it. How will I know that I like it or how will I know when I have that? And that's a very legitimate kind of perspective on the kingdom. There's also a kind of another thing that happens, and sometimes you have a desire to know more about the kingdom, but you realize the price is too high to pay. You look at it and you go, you know, I want more of God, but how much will that cost me in my time, in my energy, or whatever else that I have to put on the table? And we look at it and we go, that's too much. You know, sometimes Jesus said, come follow me, and not all of them did. Sometimes Jesus said that, that when you put your hand to the plow and you look back, that is, you're not fully content with God, but you look back and you regret following God, he says you're unfit for the kingdom of God. And I believe in these last days that what God is doing is he's raising up people who are going to be warriors for the kingdom. People are really going to be sold out and committed to God like never before. If you haven't noticed, our world is changing and it's changing rapidly. It is becoming more hostile to the things of God. And so when the darkness comes in, guess what? The light gets brighter. Amen? And we want to get brighter for Jesus every day of our life. Here, let me give you one more kind of setup for this, and that is you want more, but you lack the knowledge. You see, sometimes I say, I want more, and I'm willing to pay the price, but how do I get that knowledge? How do I discover how to move into the presence of God. When we use that term, the presence of God speaks of his glory that is resident among us, that we can become more and more aware of that resident presence of God as we live out our life. And we're going to kind of walk through that a little bit. What I want to do today is I want to I give you a timeline, and I want to help you to understand a little bit about how God works and how this bridegroom and bride thing happens. And, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to take you on a journey here, but not with that pin. I'm just pin challenged here. I don't know what the problem is. All right. Okay. Let's go back here and think about the Old Testament. Now, the Bible is really two parts. It's got an Old Testament. It's got a New Testament. Now, what happens is in the Old Testament, the prophets predicted the coming of the Messiah, and we know him as Jesus. So Jesus comes, the Messiah comes, and he begins to preach about the kingdom of God. He begins to tell them that the kingdom of God is not what you think it is in many ways, and he begins to unfold that to those listeners. And as they listen, they begin to understand, they begin to resonate, they begin to experience something of the kingdom of God. Remember, if you have a kingdom, you have to have a king, you have to have servants, or you have to have residents within that kingdom. You've got to have a law that operates that kingdom, right? And you've got to have a purpose or a mission for that kingdom to exist, and God has all of that. So when we begin to think about it, Jesus comes, one of the things he does is he dies on the cross. The reason he died on the cross was because of your sins and mine, the price or the penalty for sin was death. Instead of you dying, he died in your place. He became your substitute for sin. 
Then he was buried, he rose from the dead, and the Bible says he ascended to the Father. And he said, it's necessary that I go away, and if I go away, I will send the Holy Spirit who is with you now, and he will be in you. So the whole goal was for man to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the power and the presence of God. It is God. He is God himself, and he lives within our human spirit. And as he lives in our human spirit, he gives us the power to live out our life. He gives us the ability to understand Scripture. He gives us the authority to act on his behalf on planet Earth. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Now, we live, we're living in this time right now of the Holy Spirit. There's coming a time here toward the end of the age called the second coming. If you want to read about that, that's in Revelation chapter 19 and verse 11. So Christ is going to come back. So what happens between now and then? Well, one thing, and we're going to put just a small little thing. I'm going to put the number seven there, and that's going to be seven years of tribulation is going to happen. So Christ is going to return, the second coming. We're living in this, this time right here, and I'm just going to write something down here so that we can remember it. Latter rain, and I'm going to come back to that in just a moment because God is going to do something in the last days as he pours out his spirit before his return. Now, let's talk about fasting. One of the things that happens when you fast is you get hungry. Anybody testify to that? Right? Your sense of smell gets a little bit better. Have you noticed that if you've been fasting? Uh, I got up early, six, maybe 6, 6.30. I was reading and had my back doors open because it was cool, and, and uh, my neighbor started cooking bacon and eggs. I mean, who does that? When the, when he's got to know that I'm fasting, doesn't he? Right? I don't think bacon has ever smelled that good in my life. I, I mean, I just was savoring it. You know, I, I tempted to go over there, knock on the door, say, hey, enough with the bacon, enough with the eggs. Go down, go down to Denny's or someplace. Get your own bacon and eggs, right? But, but, but my, my natural senses was, were heightened. When you fast, your spiritual senses are heightened as well. So you can see things in the spirit realm that you could not see apart from fasting. This is why we fast. We also, when we fast spiritually, we access power that we could not access on the same level without fasting. That's why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, some kind, this is what he says, some kind, speaking of a boy that was possessed by an evil spirit, he says, some kind do not come out except by prayer and fasting. So when I fast and pray, I move into a dimension spiritually that gives me greater power, greater authority over the demonic works of the enemy. You see the motivation? It's not just so I can get hungry and, and do what everybody's doing in the church. No, what I want to do is I want to heighten my spiritual understanding. I want to operate in a greater sphere of dominion and authority in the kingdom so that I become all that God wants me to, to become and leverage, and leverage who I am as a son or a daughter of God for his purposes. If I don't do that, I operate in a sphere of religion. 
Religion is always bad. I, I was talking to a guy this week. I, I actually went down and was buying something, trying to negotiate a price. And, and as I was talking to him, I thought I'm going to talk to him about Jesus because he really wants a sale because he's on commission. So I know I have him, right? And I said, hey, uh, I don't know, do you ever go to church or anything like that? And he goes, no, I'm really not a church-going guy. And I go, oh, okay, cool. And I said, well, I'm a pastor. And, you know, you can see the look on their face. It's kind of like, oh, no, How did it, why did it happen to me, right? And I go, but I just I want to be right up front with you. I hate religion. And he looked at me like that was the oddest comment he'd ever heard in his life. What do you mean you hate religion? How can you hate religion? You're a pastor. And I said, see, religion is all about man trying to please God. Religion is all about conformity. But I love relationship with Jesus, and that's different. And as I began to talk to him, began to build that bridge, and then I said to him this. I said, let me, let me just tell you, if you choose to come, and I hope you do, I'm going to give you some advice. Here's the first piece of advice. When you come, come late. That way you'll miss the offering. Number two, set in the back. That way if things go south, you can get out of here quick. That's why some of you are sitting on the back, right? Got to come early for the back row, amen? All right. And then third, do not fill out anything. Do not put your name. Do not give it to anyone. We have people that can ferret out a name anywhere, so do not give a name to anybody. And the guy starts laughing. And I said, and then if that's too risky, you can watch us on live stream. Now, why did I do that? Because I needed to break down the things that keep people from church. All they want is my money. What if the show's not good and I'm trapped? And what if they come see me? You see, we have to disarm people. When you, when you begin to pray about who's the one, disarm them. The last thing you want to say, once you come, you'll never miss a Sunday. You'll see their eyes get big like, oh, Jesus, I don't want to go to church every week. I might drop in, you know, for the Easter Bunny and, and Santa Claus, but I... This whole big thing, I ain't doing that, right? So make it, you know, kind of find a way to win it. Now let me, let me, let me take you into this idea of fasting. Now we're going to kind of progress into this very quickly. Fasting increases the appetite for more. When you fast, you physically have a greater appetite for more food. And when you fast, you have a greater appetite in the spiritual realm for more spiritual food. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 14. The disciples of John came to him. And said, why do we, now look at this, why do we and your, and your uh, why do we fast uh, and the Pharisees fast and you do not fast? So what's going on here? Why are we doing something your disciples are not doing? We fast often, but your disciples aren't fasting at all. And what they were doing was they were saying, we are religious and your disciples are not. We want conformity. We want you to do re what religion says, and religion says we should fast all the time. Now, I don't know that they really were fasting all the time, and we don't know that they really knew that the disciples weren't fasting. That wasn't the point. You know what that was? It was religious spirit. A religious spirit is always popular because people love religion because I, you know, I can check off the box. I, I've done what I needed to do. In our book that we're reading on fasting by Mike Bickle, he says this, a heart that does not mourn for more of him is a heart that accepts its current state of spiritual barrenness as tolerable and livable. You have to yearn for more of God. You've got to say, I want God more than anything. 
It's like the psalmist said, as the heart pants after the water brook, so pants my soul after thee, O God, the living God. When shall I stand before your face? My tears have been my only food both day and night. That's the kind of hunger. Blessed are those who are hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled, the Bible says. You see, our spiritual DNA craves, it craves the supernatural. You have a physical DNA, but you have a spiritual DNA, and it craves the supernatural. You don't want to just go through the motions. You don't want to just go to church, hear a good message, be encouraged, have some decent music and decent sermon. What you want is you want to enter into the sphere of the dimension of the supernatural that you flow with the Spirit of God, and you know that you're here on earth for more than just showing up at church. If it was just showing up at church, I'd quit. I, I want to see God show up. I want to see God work in me and through me and use me in a great way. You see, fasting increases the vision for more of God's kingdom. When you fast, you begin to get a picture and you say, wow, this is what God's kingdom's all about. I like to shock people with this statement, and I, we repeat it a lot because we've seen so many people healed. Jesus never told us to pray for the sick. He told us to heal the sick. Heal the sick. There's a difference there. You see that paradigm shift? Most times we pray for the sick. Oh, I just pray you get better. Well, I don't want that guy praying for me. I want someone to say, be healed in Jesus' name. I want authority of heaven coming down on earth from that person confirming what God said in his word. Now, let me show you this. Our mission is to infiltrate earth with heaven. Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Bring the reality of heaven to earth. That is your mission. That is our mission. And here's the beautiful thing. I mean, how many of you like to read? Anybody like to read? You know, I love to read. I didn't always, wasn't always a reader, but I love to read. And, and I love, when I read, I love to see how pages unfold and how stories unfold. And I want you to know that you're a novel of God. God is an author. And you are his novel. And he writes every page of your life. And each day you get to decide what the main character in the book is going to do by your choices. And when you choose wisely, when you choose God, you move in the right way. And the beautiful thing is when we, when we tell that story, when we live out that story in the right kind of way, guess what? The book has a good ending. You ever read a book that had a bad ending? You're just so disappointed. The, the book was great up until the end, and you just knew that it was going to get so good at the end, and you kind of almost envisioned what was going to happen, and, and, you know, and then all of a sudden it didn't. How about a movie? You say, this is a great movie. Everybody told us it's a great movie. You're watching the movie. You're one hour into it, and you know the movie is no good. You ever been there? And then what do you do? It's got to get better. That's what you say. It doesn't got to get better. It usually gets worse, amen? Let me ask you something. If somebody's reading your story, watching your movie, is it getting better or getting worse? Is it going to have a good ending? Are you going to finish well? Are you going to finish it all? What will they say about you in the kingdom? That's what we want to be understanding. Here's a great quote that I, I pulled out of Arthur Wallace's book on God's chosen fast. Listen to this. Fasting, then, opens the way for the outpouring of the Spirit and the restoration of God's house. Fasting in this age of the absent bridegroom, Jesus, is in expectation of his return. 
Well, when I fast, I go, you know what, God, I know this world hasn't got everything for me, and I'm looking for the one to come, and I'm anticipating the coming bridegroom. So here's the next truth. We are waiting. We are waiting for the bridegroom. That's where we are. See, we're here. We're waiting for the bridegroom to return. And toward the end of this age that we live in, the Bible promises us in Joel that there's going to be a latter rain, a greater pouring out of his spirit toward the end of the age. Let's look at Matthew chapter 9 and verse 15. Jesus said to them, the Pharisees, can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away, that is Christ crucified, from them, and then they will fast. So we're living right now in the days where he says, no, you could, you could feast while I was on earth, but now it's time to pray and fast, to look with expectation, because the day that Joel spoke of is coming. Let me show it to you. Joel chapter 2, verses 15 through 16, blow the trumpet in Zion consecrate a fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the people. See, these are all kind of things. Why? Let's get together. Like, like tomorrow night, we're going to have a, a, a prayer and worship night. Come tomorrow night for an hour and, and join us for that time, that special time. And that's what he was doing. Sanctify the congregation. That means to call them to holiness, call them to purity, assemble the elders, gather the children, the nursing babies. See, everybody's coming. They're all coming. Let the bridegroom go forth from his chamber. Right now, Jesus is in heaven in the chamber. He's waiting. Man, I, I went into the room there with the guys. I had a wedding on Friday night and went in there, and the guys are all in there. And they're, they're, you know, you can tell there's only one guy in the room who's nervous. Can I tell you it wasn't me? And it wasn't a groomsman? The groom's in there. He's, he's a nervous wreck. You can tell it's all over his face. Like, I said, hey, I got my car. You want to get out of here? I'll, I'll take you. And you see that little look in his eye just for a moment like, I wonder if I should. <laughs> no, I can't do that. He said, no, I, I can't do it. I, I, one, I said to one guy, and he said, no, I got too much invested in this. I got to get into it. I got to go through this thing. I said, are you doubting? He said, oh, heck, I've been doubting since the day I asked her. You see, Jesus is anticipating. He's in the chamber. He's going, I can't wait to come back. I can't but wait to get back to the bride. You know, that's the greatest thing. Once that guy walks out there and he gets up in the front and he's standing there, and I, 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 like, I don't watch the bride, I watch the groom. Because I, everything that he believes and thinks about that bride is on his face. And when I see that, that brightness, I see that tears of joy or that smile, and then once I see it, then I can look at the bride. Jesus is in heaven. He's got, a, he's got a tear running down his face. He's got a joy in his heart. He's excited. He's excited for the honeymoon where we live together forever and ever in eternity. See, there's a time of purification, though. There's a Hebrew word called mikveh. It's actually from the Hebrew it, it means the gathering of waters. It's used in the first book of Moses, Genesis chapter 1, verse 10. It talks about the waters gathering, and it was literally a baptism. That God baptized the earth. It said the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep. There was gonna, the, the earth was going to be plunged into a baptism that was going to bring newness to it. Guess what? God takes and he baptizes you into purity and he brings you forth that you might come forth with newness. You come forth with that baptism of the Spirit of God where the Spirit of God lives powerfully and mightily in you and you begin to be a whole different kind of a person. 
And in that time of purification, it moves you toward that time of preparation. In Matthew chapter 25 and verse 13, it says, Watch, therefore, for you do not know the day or the hour. And that word hour there is a word in the Greek that means a fixed time in which the Son of Man is coming. And until he comes, you have a time of proclamation. You've got to be telling the message. You've got to be telling people about Jesus. got to say, hey, I don't know if you've ever heard, but. And, and, you know, and, and you say, well, what if they don't like what I have to say? Well, when did that ever stop? You've said a lot of things to people they didn't like to say here. Here, right? All right? Speak the word. Now watch this. New moves of the Spirit are too great to be confined to old models and patterns. When the Holy Spirit begins to work in your life, don't be surprised if it's something new in a new way. See, we have a tendency to think that the way God worked in your life yesterday is the way he's going to work in your life today. You say, well, I remember when, and you go back in your life of some spiritual time in your life when it was so good, and then you try to replicate that in the present. God says, no, I do a new thing. Don't put me in a pattern. Don't box me in anywhere. Let me be God. Let me do something fresh in your life. Matthew chapter 9, verses 16 and 17. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. For the patch pulls away from the garment and the tear is made worse. Nor do they put new wine in old wineskins or else the wineskins break and the wine is spilled and the wineskins are ruined, but they put new wine into the new wineskins and both are preserved. Okay, so what we do know about wine is that when it starts to ferment, it expands, right? I was about 12 years old and they had this ad that came on TV and it was for the little winemaker. And I went out and got a money order, didn't tell my parents because, you know, I didn't want them to know I was making wine at 12 or 13 years old. But I had visions of being a, you know, owning a vineyard, and I mean, it was great. So I ordered it, and it came in a little keg, and you put all the little sugar and all the stuff in there, got it fermenting, and then you put it in there, and you waited. It had to be in the dark and all that kind of stuff, and you waited a certain amount of time. And then you could go and open the tap, and you could drink wine. I'm thinking, what 12-year-old boy didn't want to make his own wine, right? What I didn't know was there is a science to this. And part of the science is that if you don't get it right, the fermentation will go a little bit too fast and the wine will blow up. Well, my dad had a brand new white Ford Galaxy. And he didn't know I had the little wine-making kit in the garage. And I didn't anticipate anything going wrong. Well, apparently in the middle of the night, the fermentation grew a little bit too much. It blew up and it spotted the red, uh, the red spots got all over the white car and they never really went away. But the best news was, the best part of the story was when at 7 a.m. the next morning when he discovered his car on his way to work was spotted with red wine and he came into my bedroom. Now my dad, I got to set it up like this. My dad was a colonel in the army and he was part of military intelligence. I had never been waterboarded but I'd been threatened. My dad was a walking lie detector. In fact, he would walk up to me, and when he, wanted to make, when he thought I was lying, he would grab my, my wrist to get my pulse, and he'd look in my eyes to see if my pupils were dilating, and he could tell if I was lying. This is, this is true. It's totally frustrating for a 16-year-old liar. I'm telling you, right? So my dad walks in, and he, he had a lot of good Army adjectives that he used to wake me up with about the car thing and, and so forth. Um, it wasn't pretty, but here's what I did find out about wine. You cannot confine it. It will make its own path. And the new wine he spoke about was the presence of God. 
the presence of God will make his own path in your life. You might try to set your own path, but the Holy Spirit says, no, I, you're, I'm, you're mine, and I'm going to direct your path. You see, new wine cannot be confined. Bill, Bill Johnson put this, uh, wrote this. He said, religion idolizes concepts and avoids personal experience. It works to get us to worship past accomplishments at the expense of any present-day activity of God in our life. So new wine cannot be confined. It expands in new ways. That new wine, that active presence of God is the active presence of the bridegroom. He's just moving. He's moving. He's moving. And the Holy Spirit, what he does is he, in, he imparts new insights to every generation. Here's the, here's the really cool thing. What the Holy Spirit can show you, he's never shown anybody else before. Because as you move closer and closer to the end of the age, there's going to be greater and greater revelation, greater insights into Scripture than has ever been before. You're going to see things that other people haven't seen. It doesn't mean you violate Scripture. Scripture stays solid, but what happens is he gives you fresh insight and application for the day in which you live. The Bible says he does nothing except he reveals it first to his prophets. God is a revealer God. God wants to show you something in life. So what do I do? The Holy Spirit's going to impart new insights into every generation. So what do I do? I position my heart. I have to position my heart in such a way that I can hear and receive from God. I have to look at my heart and say, is there anything in my heart that's divided? You say, well, I don't know if I can make that commitment the rest of my life. Can I tell you that Jesus never asked anybody to take up the cross and follow him the rest of their life? Now, be careful. Don't, don't not hear what I'm saying. What he said was, take up your cross daily and follow me. You see, when you make too big of a commitment, you immediately back off of it. You, you, be, you begin to just default everything you're doing into failure. But if you'll say this, you know what? I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but today, this moment, I make a decision. I'm going to follow Jesus with all my heart, my mind, my soul, and my strength. That's as far as I can get. If you can do that, you've done what Jesus said. You say, what about tomorrow? Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Sufficient is the evil of the day thereof. You focus on today. You walk with me and let me take you through today, and then tomorrow you can get up and start all over. It makes sense, right? Let me give you a couple life applications. You have to press into the kingdom. The kingdom is not just like, oh, you know, I just kind of walked into church and I, I experienced the, the presence of God. No, you have to press into God. You know, when I played football in, in, in high school, you know, my coach was always saying, you can press more weight. You can run faster. You can run further. I didn't want to. I really didn't want to. I mean, I, I mean, there's some guys on the team that like that stuff. I didn't. I just liked playing football. I didn't like the, the, the build-up to it. I liked wearing the jersey, and the girls go, look, he plays football. That's what I liked. It was a social event for me. It wasn't really like competition. Yeah, we won. Okay, cool. Let's go. Go to Pizza Hut. Wear our leather jacket, right? Amen? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Some of you still got your leather jacket and wear them. Stop with the leather jacket. You got to stop. It's done, right? Leather jacket's over. Okay. You got to press in. Here's what I want you to do today. I want you to press into the kingdom. Say, God, you know, 
I'm right here and I'm comfortable. And God says, don't be comfortable. Press in. Press in a little bit harder, a little bit deeper into me. Press into the kingdom. Be willing. Be willing to pray any, pay any price for an encounter with God. Be willing to pay any price. Say, God, I, I don't know what it's going to take to follow you, but God, I'm willing to pay that price. When I first came to faith in Christ, I thought if I prayed something like that, that God would take, take me up on it and would do something bad to me. You know, like, God, God, I'll, I'll do anything. To, I'll follow you anywhere, but just don't do this, this, and this. See, that's because I didn't understand God was a good God who loved me. Right? You're not going to take me down the wrong road. I'm going to do something wrong, something bad. I'm his son. You're his son and daughter. He loves you. He wants the best for you. What he wants is he wants my heart to be totally yielded to his so that as he works in my life, he can, he can do it to the maximum amount of impact and bring the greatest joy to my heart. That's what's really cool about God, amen? That's what God wants to do. So when I say, God, I just, I just yield. I just yield. He goes, that's all I've been waiting for. Now I can start. Now I can get started with you. Let's stand together and let's just bow our heads and pray for a moment. I want to ask you to be willing to say that to God. God, I'm just willing to pay any price. I'm willing to, I'm willing to follow you, God. I'm willing to do what you want me to do, God. And here's what we're going to do. I'm just going to ask you to just close your eyes and just bow your heads for a moment. If that's what you'd be willing to do, say, you know, God, I don't know. I, I believe I can make that commitment today. And maybe you were encouraged by the fact that you do live one day at a time. You don't live five days at a time. You live one day at a time. Then what I wanted to ask you to do is I want to ask you to to make that decision. Say, you know what, God, all that is within me and all that I understand about following you right now, I want to give you my all. I'm just going to give you my all, God. I trust you as my Father. I trust you as my God. I trust you, Lord Jesus. If you'd be willing to to make that decision just to fortify it, I'm just going to ask you just to slip out from where you're standing right now and just kind of press in here toward the front. You know, God, I just just come quickly, come quickly. We're not going to delay this, this time together. But I, I think there's something powerful that when we gather and we press in and we pray together, just squeeze in tight, guys. Make room for everybody. You're coming and saying, you know, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to press in to the kingdom. I'm not sure what that means, but I want more than what I have. I want to see greater works in my life. I want to see greater miracles. I want to see more prayers answered. God, I want to see those things happening in my life. I want to see you work, God, in a powerful way. Now, for those of you standing here at the front, if anyone else wants to come and join us, we're just going to pray for you right now. Father, you have, you have brought people here today who are hungry for the kingdom. Whether they're standing here at the front or staying in the back, God, they're hungry for the kingdom. I know they are. I believe everybody wants to draw closer to you, to be uh, 
just more in tune with you. And God, it's not, you haven't made it complicated. You've just said, just love me and let me, and just trust me with your life. So God, everyone here, God, they're saying, I, I love you, God, and, and I trust you with my life. I pray the blessings, the favor, the spiritual power and the anointing of God would fall right now. The presence of God would be realized right now on every person that's gathered here at the front. I want you just to thank him right now in your own words, just out loud, just thank him for his presence. Would you do it right now? Just out loud, just say it out loud. Just thank him for his presence. Just tell him you want more of him, just more of him. I want more of you, God. I want more of you. I want your spirit to be more powerful. I want your miracles to be more powerful in my life. I want faith to grow. God, I want more, more of you, God, more of you, more of you. God, we love you.